On Welcome to On Contact. Today we'll sit down with a great radical intellectual, Tariq Ali. There are growing discontents all over the world. Uprisings, occupations, attempts, governmental attempts by social democratic style governments to do something which come to naught because the system has such a grip on all the global institutions. Uncon neoliberalism is patriotism. Truth is not socialist ideologies, class war, corporate crudeta, utopian ideology of neoliberalism revolt unmasked. Get back into your cages, the elites tell us. Return to watching the lies, absurdities, trivia, and celebrity gossip fed to us in 24-hour cycles on television. Invest your emotional energy in the vast system of popular entertainment. Run up your credit card debt. Pay your loans. Be thankful for the scraps we toss. Chant back to us our phrases about democracy, greatness, economic recovery, and liberty. Vote in our rigged political theater. Send your young men and women to fight and die in useless, unwinnable wars that provide corporations with huge profits. Stand by mutely as the corporate state plunges you into a society without basic social services and adequate employment. Pay for the crimes of Wall Street. The system is not sustainable. Violence will increase as the elites seek to keep us in check. John F. Kennedy said, those who make peaceful revolution impossible make violent revolution inevitable. Let us pray that this is a dictum we never have to apply to ourselves. We'll begin with a look at the reality of global inequality with Anya Parempil. Who does our economy work for? Does it work for you? Does it work for most people? Most of us are so caught up participating in it, we don't even think about that question. But according to Oxfam, over the last five years alone, the wealth of the top 1% of society has increased by 44%. Meanwhile, the remaining 99% of the world has lost its share of global wealth. To put that in perspective, we're looking at a world where 62 billionaires control about $1.8 trillion, the same amount as the 3.6 billion people who make up the poorer half of humanity. And the gender inequality gap extends to the 1%. 53 of those 62 people are men. So what exactly does it take? What do you have to accumulate to join the 1%? Some serious cash. About $760,000 in cash and assets, to be exact, according to the BBC. Additionally, it's extremely difficult to truly measure the top tier of wealth because so much of their fortune is hidden. Oxfam estimates that around $7.6 trillion is stored in offshore accounts. But the real issue with inequality is that things haven't always been this bad. It's not as though the haves and the have-nots are fighting over some little pie that hasn't gotten any bigger. The pie of wealth has actually increased. And while salaries of CEOs have skyrocketed over the past decades as a result, wages for the average worker have stagnated, and the wealth isn't trickling down. For a lot of people, with all the distractions life provides us, it feels nice just to have a little bit of pie. But in a global economy designed for the 1%, most people are left craving a livable wage. 
Tariq Ali is one of the most trenchant critics of global capitalism. His books, novels, screenplays, and plays, and his journalism in the Black Dwarf newspaper and the New Left Review have proven to be prophetic. Ali is an Oxford-educated intellectual and longtime gadfly who once stood as the Trotskyite candidate for parliament in Britain. He joins me now to talk about the global revolt against corporate capitalism and its implications from Athens to Washington. Let's talk about where we are today. Uh, Gramsci calls it the interregnum. But, but what, what's happening in, in terms of uh, capitalism and, and its, its systems of power? Well, the capitalist system, I think, is in a deep crisis. Uh, it's very difficult for even its apologists to deny it. Quite a lot of capitalist economists or pro-capitalist economists are saying that the 2008 Wall Street crash wasn't the last word, that it is going to repeat itself. Well, they're all they're doing what they were doing before, exactly. with, with money handed to them by the Fed at zero percent interest. Exactly. So what we've had is state-funded capitalism. All these people who used to attack the state, it can't do anything for, not allowed to do anything for the poor, but it can bail out the rich whenever it wants. And so in this situation, there are growing discontents all over the world. Uprisings, occupations, attempts, governmental attempts by social democratic style governments to do something which come to naught because the system has such a grip on all the global institutions of capital, of politics, of so-called humanitarianism that every time there is an attempt to go beyond it they, they stop it. So Gramsci's description of this world as something morbid, he said yeah. the morbid symptoms right, right, of right. decline right. but somehow nothing is emerging that right. we can say is a sort of way out of the crisis. Which is dangerous. Very dangerous because if you have um, lots of protests and anger and expressed in different and, ways. And we should be clear that these are nonviolent civic protests to ask for what are, can only be considered the most basic of democratic rights. And we're watching it in the presidential elections where Bernie Sanders supporters ask that their vote counts. Exactly. And of course the Democratic Party has created conditions where their vote doesn't count. Exactly. And on a global level, especially in Europe, but even in other parts of the world, we can see this phenomenon repeated. Yeah. That young people and older people who had completely abandoned the British Labour Party came back when they saw Jeremy Corbyn as a candidate, poured back into the Labour Party, joined it and elected him leader. Right. <clears throat> and it's the same phenomenon. And well, we saw it in Greece, where they passed a referendum. And when, when they, when, saying we, we don't want to be enslaved to European or an international banking system and the, and, and the referendum passes with what, I mean, what percentage? I don't remember, 60%? 61%. And then, the the, even though the government Syriza, which was elected on that platform, it ignores well, it. Well, we now know, of course, that uh, Tsipras, the uh, Greek le uh, Syriza leader and the current prime minister, was so convinced 
that the referendum would fail, that he thought that people would vote not no, but yes. And he was stunned when they voted no. In other words, mass support to break with the Troika and the European Union demands, instead of lifting him up, made him depressed, and he sold out the very next day. Within 24 hours, he sacked his finance minister, Yanis Varoufakis, right. and told the Europeans, we're here, on our knees before you, do what you want with right. us. Although, to be fair to him and, and Cereza, I think we spoke about this last time we were together, they, the international finance system would have destroyed Greece in the same way they destroyed Salvador Allende in Chile. He wasn't wrong about how they would punish him because I think, as you have often pointed out, this is a political war. It's not an economic yeah. war. When Greece is, what, 2% of the EU's economy? It's nothing. No, this is true, Chris, but there's one thing we have to bear in mind, that Salvador Allende was destroyed on Kissinger's orders uh, at the height of the Cold War. Mm. They were really worried that here was a non-violent form of what could possibly be uh, a democratic revolution contrasting with the Cuban one, and its attraction could be large, so destroyed. There's no Cold War. Yeah, right. What these people in Greece were asking is what many of Bernie Sanders right. supports. Just we need democratic rights and a little yeah. bit of social democracy. And our pensions. Yeah. <laughs> Not too right. much, right. a little uh, bit yeah. of social democracy. Yeah, and yeah. even that, yeah. the system, isn't permitting them. Yeah. So that's the crisis. And, and, and let's go back to this. As you said, it is dangerous because of the obtuseness of the elites who, by not responding, I think you would agree, are ultimately digging their own grave. Well, they're digging their own grave not in the sense that capitalism will necessarily go under with them, but that this particular model that they have been developing uh, will have to be changed. And the danger lies that having attacked the left, destroyed and not permitted even a tiny bit of social democracy, they are actually now encouraging the growth of uh, far right and right all over the Western world. You see it in the rise of the extreme right in France. Right. In Austria, they actually elected a fascist president. Right. In Germany, the... Uh, so they already had Waldheim, so it's the second time around, but... This is, right. Yeah, this, exactly. <laughs> the Waldheim tried to keep it quiet. Right, right. This guy it. is open about That's it, right. you know. Um, and in Germany, the sort of so-called German nationalist parties are taking votes from both social democrats and conservatives. Uh, it's not a pleasant situation. Well, you see it in the United States. Yeah. And we see what's happening in the United States. And it's very similar, the phenomenon. Europe is not that different. I mean, it is in some ways. But the Sander phenomenon is not that far removed from the far-right phenomenon in Europe in the following sense, that he says some things which appeal to underprivileged nativist workers. Well, that's what fascism always does. Yeah. But they're doing it now at a time where conditions are really bad. Right. And uh, if Trump wins, of course, uh, it will be a huge boost for these forces. But on the other hand, what is the alternative to Trump? You know, a crazy, really crazed, 
pro-imperialist, pro-Israeli democratic well, candidate. Well, a figure who represents everything that you know, all sides of the political spectrum have risen up against. We're going to take a break uh, and return in a minute with Tarek Ali. For decades, the American middle class has been railroaded by Washington politics. Big money corporate interest has drowned out a lot of voices. That's how it is in the news culture in this country now. That's where I come in. I'm Ed Schultz. I do the news on RT America. I'll make sure you don't get railroaded and you'll get the straight talk and the straight news. Question more. someone who want to be president. What's it like to be president? What's it like when the phone rings at 3 in the morning? Can't be a good call. I'm interested always in the whys and the hows. You're watching an RT America special report. Man, it ain't about him. It's about you. It's about me. It's about everybody. Basically, everything that you think you know about civil society had broken down. There's always going to be somebody else one step ahead of the game. We should not be in the business of normalizing violence. We don't need people that think like this on our planet. This is an incredibly tense situation. Welcome back to On Contact and my discussion with the great intellectual and radical Tarek Ali. So let's look a little bit at Greece, because Greece is um, a kind of perfect case study uh, of the myopic thinking on the part of international elites, where they are squeezing everything they can out of this country, knowing full well that, the, uh, that it's ultimately not sustainable. And we're going to open with a clip from the former Greek uh, finance minister who resigned uh, uh, from the government in protest over its capitulation to uh, the EU banking system. Nothing will surprise me these days in Europe. We seem to be doing the wrong thing consistently. It's a comedy of errors from 2010 onwards. Uh, it's my considered op opinion that the responsible thing to do for our party would be to hand over the keys of government to those who believe in this program. 
in this fiscal consolidation reform program and the new loan because we don't believe in it and we should not be trying to implement a program whose logic we contest. The comedy of errors. Um, I mean, a lot of people in Greece are suffering and a lot more are going to suffer. And they will, yeah, they will carry on suffering because uh, what people, especially in North America, but also in the rest of the world, don't realize that already, even before this last capitulation by Cyprus, the figures coming out of Greece were horrific. Malnutrition yeah. in Greece, yeah, yeah. Chris, people dying lack of food, people using barter to survive, uh, pensions going down and down and down in a poor country right. at the same time as the ship owners, uh, plutocracy, which has owned that country carries on. There's no problems uh, as far as they're concerned at all. They don't pay their taxes. Uh, they register their ships somewhere else. And even when they don't, they're not, they don't think it's their duty. Well, it's like we have a tax boycott by Wall Street and large corporations exactly. here. It's a global <coughs> problem. But th we know from uh, emails that have been leaked that the European banking system that is imposing this draconian austerity knows that ultimately it's going to collapse. They're, they're totally aware of what they're doing. Why? I think basically what they want to do, though they don't say it in public, they realize that the way in which they launched the Eurozone and the Euro currency was deeply flawed. Because this is the first time ever in the history of the world that a currency has been launched by a state which isn't even a state, which right. isn't even federal, which includes countries where conditions are very different from what they are in Germany or France, and they've been waiting for an opportunity to revise it, which is why at one stage in the negotiations, Wolfgang Schobler, the German finance minister, made an offer to Greece. Go quietly and we'll give you right. a few billions to sort it out. Right. I said to Varoufakis at a private thing, I said, you know, that offer was made. Did you discuss it seriously? Because this is not a question of principle, but of trying to do something to lift the standards of the people. And he said it wasn't, you know, the the leadership refused to take it seriously but it was meant seriously god knows what the germans would have demanded in return but effectively it's right to say it's the banking system but it's the german banks who are very dominant right. in in this whole business they know it's going to end badly some of them are waiting for it to end badly so that they can restructure the whole zone and possibly the eu let's talk about this as a political issue and a global issue I believe you've said that the, the reason that the banking system, in essence, has to destroy Greece is to send a message to countries like Portugal, Spain, Ireland, whose economy is a mess, it's, which really goes like this, as, as the, along with the rest of the global international markets, don't try this. I think it was that. Like here, the, your analogy with Salvador Allende in Chile right. absolutely fits. This was a message to other countries where there was no armed struggle, no guerrilla right. warfare. Don't try coming to power like this.
uh, and nationalizing industries and wrapping us on the knuckles. This is how we'll deal with you. That is what was done to Greece by the European Union. And you know, one has to be honest here, Chris. It's had its effect. Yeah. It's pushed people back. The Spanish uh, radical group Podemos stepped backwards. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, it's had its effect. And which is why the um, struggle in Europe, A, has to be internationalist, but also has to target the EU. You know, using the EU and looking at it, ah, this is the gold standard. It means absolutely right. nothing. And the left, I think, is generally very confused on well, this issue. Well, you know, we won't get into the EU, but in essence, what these countries like Greece did is give up control over their own currency, which is deadly for any... Completely. And it's wrecked Greece. And it's even more, the Italians are in a state about this currency in the way in which it functions, because it's wrecked their economy too. So it is in their capitalist interests as rational capitalist countries to quit the Eurozone. But they won't do it because they're scared of the unknown. Right. Isn't, though, in essence, international finance, in a way, by you know, imposing these draconian conditions on countries like Greece, just putting more fingers in the dike? I mean, it's not, isn't it ultimately, I mean, on some level, they have to know the collapse is coming. They do know the collapse is coming, and they're trying to make sure that it doesn't affect them. So the German banks are not prepared to allow the politicians to take any risk by bailing out Greece or bailing out other countries in trouble. It was one thing bailing themselves out, the banks right. uh, uh, and the hedge fund system via the banks. But anything else they say is unacceptable because it will bring the collapse closer and our interest is to defend the banking system it's short-sighted right. and they live for today as right. we know capitalism capitalists by and large don't think of the long term even Keynes said in well, the long term quarterly profits yeah that's it and that's uh, it. but uh, I mean at a certain point you know because I think they are aware of how fragile the system is Aren't they just looting and stealing as much as and as fast as they can on the way down? Isn't that really kind of what it boils down to? Well, it does. And That's what I, they just did in Argentina. Yeah. Argentina is an absolutely disgraceful story. Well, they, they, the hedge fund managers put up their candidate, and as soon as he gets into office, he sells out the entire co country to pay back almost, what is it? I don't know if it's a penny on a dollar, but, I mean, these hedge funds... Exactly. made a killing off the Argentine. <clears throat> They've made a killing. They're hoping on making a similar killing now in Brazil and Venezuela. Yeah. They well, don't we just, give up. Well, we just saw, let's call it what it is, a kind of, you know, congressionally sanctioned coup d'etat in Brazil, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's a constitutional coup to try and get rid of a president and more importantly, a political party that has stayed in power for a long time despite all the predictions of the yeah. so-called pundits. That's what we're seeing. It's a big counteroffensive by capital, backed of course by Washington. Uh, and it's not over, but it's, it's going to leave a very unpleasant taste. So let's talk about this convergence. As we spoke at the beginning of the interview, the rise of these proto-fascist movements in Europe people, nativists, gathering racists, white racists gathering around Trump. Who has a legitimate or a real possibility of becoming president? Um, coupled with the 
instability in global capital. How do they come together? At what point do they come together? And what are the consequences? The principal reason for them coming together uh, is that the elites who have run the United States and Western Europe uh, have proved incapable of offering even the smallest palliatives to their populations. Uh, they have allowed the poor to rot regardless of skin color. And grow in terms of numbers. And, grow. and so what we have is a protest against this central elite, which I call the extreme right. center, uh, because whether it's uh, social democratic or conservative, they unite right. to crush. And uh, against that, the left has been weak, and the right has come out now very strong. And in country after country in Europe, you see them growing, with the exception of Spain, which is quite interesting. Um, and in the United States, they found in Trump someone who airs their most crazed fantasies, at the same time who attacks the banks, at the same time attacks these new treaties which are being uh, uh, carried through, and promises some palliatives to the poorest section of the white working right, class. It won't happen, of course. It won't happen. But, but, but he, the fact that he's promising right. it, and it was very interesting, Rosario Dawson at uh, Bernie Sanders' uh, huge rally in uh, New York made an appeal. She said, we know where many of Trump's supporters are coming from. And I want to say that we don't need to be divided. We need to be reaching out and talking to those folks who are supporting Trump. Why? Because they're supporting him for a reason. They're standing up behind him because he's against the establishment as well. And they're literally standing behind the guy who they know is going to go into the Oval Office and go, you're fired. I can understand that. But I'm supporting the guy who's looking at all of us and saying, you're hired. And we want you to know we're thinking about you. We know who you are. Right. We can serve your interests better than he can. So she understood but it. Let she... me just close. Yeah. If we get a financial crisis, given the co political configurations in Europe and the United States, does this see an explosion of the radical right? I think so. Right. I don't think there's anything on the left at the moment. Right. Of course, these things well, are the, volatile. Things the, can the happen. The left has been consciously destroyed in the name of anti-communism, whether you had anything Older. to do with communism or not. Yeah. The labor unions are broken. All of the mechanisms by which working people had the ability to express uh, their voice or have their voice heard has been dismantled. And, and, and that is a recipe for fascism. It's a recipe for something very unpleasant, whether it takes the exact form of fascism. Well, it won't take the exact form. No, but, but it's, a, it's a recipe that comes from the radical right. right. And given the big vacuum and the absence right. of a left uh, uh, on this scale, you know, one has to shut Well, we'll end there, but let's remember that Weimar was a political vacuum. Thank you, Tarek. That was author Tarek Ali. The corporations that own the media have worked overtime to sell a bewildered public the fiction that we are enjoying a recovery. Employment figures are fictitious. Those who have not looked for work in the past month are magically erased from the unemployment statistics. The underemployed, even if they work as little an hour a week, 
are counted as employed. Those locked in our jails and prisons are removed from unemployment rolls. Real unemployment is at least 10%, probably higher. We live not in a recovery, but in the twilight stages of global capitalism, which may be surprisingly more resilient than we expect, but which is ultimately terminal. Karl Marx knew that once the market mechanism becomes the sole determining factor for the fate of the nation state, as well as the natural world, both would be demolished. No one knows when this will happen, but that it will happen, perhaps within our lifetime, seems certain. Thank you for watching On Contact. You can find us on rt.com slash oncontact. See you next week.